another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. Referees, in what is another great podcast because the Chiefs are officially in the playoffs. Of course, we knew they were going to be in there, but it is official. We are number two in the AFC, and we, we will be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before we get to the Steelers, we got to talk about the Chiefs Broncos, which is another can of worms on its own. But before we talk about that as well, Reese, how was your week? My week's not been too bad, all things considered. Uh, yesterday, we had a fantastic day of football. I'm not going to lie. Between the uh, Raiders Chargers game and the 49ers Rams game, there were some good games going. Even Texans Titans, you know, which didn't yeah. go the way we wanted it to. That was still a great game. It just further shows me how fraudulent Tennessee is, all things considered. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. And unlike the pavement outside, I'm not salty in the least. So, Armando, how was your week? Before I talk about my week, um, baseball just entered the chat. <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm just making fun of baseball because, like, oh. Look at like the NFL just like absolutely dominating sports. We just saw like eight straight hours of amazing football and baseball's over here like can't even get a freaking deal done because they think they're higher than thou when they don't understand that the NFL is just destroying the baseball market that uh, they need to get their act together because look we're, it, it's like not even playoff season it was week it, it's this week that the NFL just threw in there where we were all like oh this is BS why why is there an extra week and it was amazing I mean that that Steeler Raiders game we can probably do a whole podcast on that game uh, but baseball this is a long tangent to say baseball. Get your act together. Jeez. Well, I mean, it's it's a lot like we've talked about before. And baseball owners, more than other owners, seem to have this mindset that, like, so long as you're technically, like, making money or operating the green, everything's fine. Well, they don't realize it's a giant bubble of things. You know, like, the fact that David Glass was... Rest in peace, uh, David Glass. Uh, the fact that he was making money all those years on the Royals... And he's like, everything's fine because, like, you know, we're technically making money. It's like, no, it's not fine. It's like you're hemorrhaging a fan base and, like, the entire team's incredibly apathetic. But, like, they kept making profit and revenue and better TV deals. Therefore, everything was fine. But, like, it's a bubble that doesn't last forever. And I feel like baseball is, as a whole is operating in that same, I don't know, kind of, like, sphere of influence right now. We're like, well, we're, our, our TV ratings are technically up. Our contracts are bigger. Therefore, everything's fine. WWF is doing or WWE is doing the same thing right now. We're like our ratings are, are our ratings are as low as they've been since like the late 80s. But because of like <laughs> TV deals and money we're getting literally from like Saudi Arabia and stuff, you know, like their money is through the roof. They're stonking hard. But yeah, you know, that's why all this to say, I'm a huge fan of owners of sports teams, you know, like your your Mark Cubans, like your Balmers, guys that want to go out there and like run successful teams. And part of having a successful organization is half the fun and half the challenge for them. 
Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, baseball just is 20 years behind the game. And it could be because of what you said. The owner is just really not taking responsibility and making the game more interesting and make it, making it accessible for kids that like don't want to sit through a freaking three-hour game. I know we talked about on the pod, one of our first podcasts, we talked about things that can make the uh, – MLB better or the things that the minor league was instituting that could help out, um, you know, like the robot umps and other, you know, mumbo jumbo, which is actually cool. And yeah, they, they didn't get their act together because, you know, base uh, football, basketball they have and they're thriving. Well, and that's another thing, too, though. We'll talk about this in later pods, I'm sure. But like, I feel like that's the next step for the MLS is that like I know the quality of play is getting better and, you know, the league's getting a little bit more notoriety, like by incremental amounts. But there are some things the MLS can even do to like make it far more accessible to the average person, like stop inking TV deals with like Bally Sports and regional sports companies have a once a week night that it's like, oh, man, it's time for, you know, Tuesday night MLS game of the week. I'm stoked for that. Or even something as simple as like stop changing the kits every year, you know, and like or if you're going <laughs> to do that. You, you can't charge premium kit price. If I'm going to spend 120 bucks on a stitched Travis Kelsey jersey, I know that jersey is going to be the same probably knock on oh, wood. Oh, yeah, for decades. For like, yeah, for decades. But like MLS, it's like, cool, I just bought the latest sporting kit. What? They've already changed it? This thing's out of date? Wow, I'm going to buy another $120 kit. Not? Just go back to the Argyle. That's why the Yankees are so successful, man. Teams like that, they have like an iconic jersey they've worn for like a long time. It's true. Lakers. Yeah. USC. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm heated, man. <laughs> Reese was not expecting that. This was totally out of left field. No pun intended. Um, nice. What did, uh, back to what you had asked like 20 minutes ago. What did I do this weekend? I did something and I forgot what I did. And it was... Um, no, never mind. I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to talk about it. <laughs> well, I, I, I won't. We'll, uh, we'll blur this all, all out. But Logan and I. T- anyway, back to your question you asked like 40 minutes ago, Reese. What did I do this weekend? Uh, not much, although a couple days ago we went up to see uh, my in-laws who just moved into a really nice new place in Fort Collins or pretty close to Fort Collins. So we stayed, looked at the house. It was really nice. Uh, really good to be out there. Crazy that the north side of Colorado is just filled with snow. But down where I'm at in the springs, there's there's nothing. So that's really strange to see because because last last summer was brutal and now we're like or sorry last winter was brutal and this winter is like nothing absolutely how about in kansas city are you guys getting a lot of snow or what no uh so far we've had our first annual you know prediction of like this this is the winter storm where we were supposed to get like four to six inches plus like you know a layer of rain that was supposed to freeze i think that was supposed to happen new year's day and ultimately all that happened was like we got a dusting of like maybe an inch of snow and i think like there was a drizzle that like froze on windshields but like it wasn't like the roads were slick by any stretch and you know the the crews had already thrown down salt on the road so it wasn't bad at all but now it's it's been chilly but nothing nothing too too terrible does does that mean that we're gonna get like snow apocalypse in the end of january or is are we done i I believe the farmer's almanac said it was gonna be a really cold really dry winter this year yeah (laughs) 
Wait, are you serious? No, no, dude. Have you ever, have you never heard of the Farmer's Almanac? No. Okay, everybody in the Midwest, <laughs> come on in here. So the Farmer's Almanac is like this literal Nostradamus thing that helps predict farmers what like helps them predict what the winter and the summers are going to be. And the thing is, it, it's not just like you know th- we sprinkled the grain on the land and it spoke to us. No, this isn't like a bunch of horoscope BS. This is legitimate like going off of historical weather patterns and like the weather of like the prior years, like all the way leading up to the current year. Wait, wait, I have to interject because I just looked up all Farmer's Almanac. I go on farmersalmanac.com. The first ad that I see is choose a sign, find out your fate. And it's all the like hey, <laughs> astronomical hey. signs. Literally seconds before you just said that it's not astronomical mumbo jumbo. Dude, it good told- job, Google. Good job, Google. I, I'm gonna say this. It's not astronomical mumbo jumbo. At the very worst, you could argue it's like pseudoscience. You know, it's like it's maybe the equivalent of like the people that, you know, take herbs to help them sleep. You know, like instead of just like popping sleeping pills, which, you know, is scientifically going to work. It's like I'm popping valerian root and lavender. And it's like, you know what? OK, there's some, you know, backing to this. It's not as good as popping like a Zoloft or something. But, you know, I guess the job. That, all this to say the farmer's almanac is legit and America needs farmers. OK, <laughs> Reese, since since you're so fired up, continue your your fire and tell us about social media. Yeah, if you want to find us on social media, I'll be posting. The, I'll be updating our story with the Farmers Almanac prediction <laughs> once a week. You can find us on Instagram at Fountain City SM. You can also find us on Facebook at Fountain City SM. But most importantly, you can find us on Zanga at FountainCity.Zanga.AngelFire.com. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can find us at Patreon.com backslash FCSM. Become a patron today and get access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, exclusive beer reviews, and maybe the Farmer's Almanac. You can also download illegally our episodes on LimeWire.com. <laughs> fountainfantasy.real.exe backslash real slim shady i was gonna say backslash like who who bestank or <laughs> oh my That's goodness uh, th- throw throw back to our older audience uh sorry our under 25 audience you you won't get that reference but look oh. it up Anyway. Okay, last question. Which ahead, one were ahead. you, Armando? Were you Napster, LimeWire, or Kaza? I was on... I, I called it Kaza. I did not call it Kaza. Oh, was it Kaza? Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be either. I mean, I, we didn't have the internet or, like, social media to know what the proper uh, pronunciation, but that was me. I was the Kaza. How about you? Um, I had a Mac, so, like, none of those worked particularly well on a Mac. I think at one point... I downloaded Napster, but like it never worked. So <laughs> Napster. And and I I remember the only things that I was downloading was like little short family guy audio clips of oh, like yeah. of like an episode. I remember that being the rage. And now that just sounds so stupid. Oh, no, it's <laughs> it was that. It was like South Park songs, Daft Punk, and I think radio singles wow so, yeah. back mm-hmm. in the day man Woo! 
And my my uh, mom used to get Mountain Dew and French bread, and the French bread was supposed to be for dinner, but I would just eat it while she was at work. I eat a whole French bread and Mountain Dew while I while I rip some kazaa. I was gonna say, I'm like, what does this have to do with file sharing? Oh no, I just like <laughs> as as you're going through all the things you're listening to, I'm like, oh man, I remember that's. That was all I did when I was a kid. I was such an idiot. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty close for me as well. To be honest, throw, throw in some Tony Ox Pro Skater, and you got a you got yourself a Wednesday. And with that, Reese, let's talk about Chiefs Broncos. A great blast from the past, meaning that um, for the past since 2015, we've been beating the Broncos, and we haven't stopped. The last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs was when Payne Manning played Alex Smith. So it's been quite some time, Reese, but this game was a little nerve-wracking. I was a little disappointed. So we still won, 28 to 24. But um, throughout the game, just just very, very nerve-wracking. There is one conspiracy theory that I'll that I'll start out with, and then we can talk for real. But there's a conspiracy theory out there that the the Chiefs purposefully let Drew Locke cook. <laughs> So that the Broncos can be like, hey, maybe he is the quarterback of the future. And then they don't have to sign Rodgers or Russell Wilson. You know, I would. Oh, that's going to be hard, though, because they got a new coach. Come, I think if they had Fangio yeah, no for way. one more year to let him stay. But but you still got what Drew Locke? This is like year two of Drew Locke. Uh, maybe three? At least maybe three, I think. So you got one more year rookie contract, Drew Locke. It's like who's gonna who's what are you gonna get for him though? Like a fourth, a fifth, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Drew Locke would actually be a great like journeyman quarterback. Like that's kind of his apex. Like if he really wants to be good, he could be a great, like Super Bowl contending quarterback too. You know, like go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, honestly, I, I feel like if he would have come be our backup quarterback after uh, Chad Henney leaves, I think Andy could actually like, coach some sense into the kid. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, and a Kansas City kid, it would be perfect. I mean, after like we we had uh, Shermer's kid, we had uh, Jordan Tamau, we had um, who was the other guy that we had recently? We Shane had a few, Buchel. Uh, yeah, Shane Buchel. All these guys have been eaten up for for other teams. So like Andy's doing something. Kafka's Kafka's doing something that these guys are actually in demand for a quarterback too. So yeah, it seems like they're developing well. I'll make you a deal next time you come to Kansas City. We'll go to the grill that Drew Locke's parents own, and we'll oh, get Summit. An yeah, Summit. Yeah, we'll get an exclusive interview with uh, Drew Locke's parents. <laughs> I've been to Summit. I, I must say it's good, but way overpriced. Ooh, I mean, so much. Lo- Logan and I had like a burger, maybe a couple drinks, and um, Logan had macaroni, maybe, and like we were cl- pretty close to a hundred dollar bill. Oh, and like like. <laughs> I didn't get a steak. She didn't get, you know, salmon or tuna. Like I'm saying macaroni, cheeseburger, maybe three cocktails between the three, two of us. Wow. Should not have been a hundred bucks, but it, I, I, I remember it. I was like, wait, what? I mean, this is like when Logan's still in school, I'm like just finishing school. Then I'm like, eh. <laughs> Summit grill for the steep prices. <laughs> Anyway, Reese, uh, so yeah, go check out Summit Grill if you want to spend arm and a leg. Actually, food wasn't bad. Anyway, speaking about bad, Reese, or or good, you, 
you can say whatever you want about this game, but tell me one takeaway that you had from this game. Oh, man, take your pick. Uh, why don't we just go back and... Yeah, it could be good or bad. Let's just go back and forth and tag team takeaways here. Uh, takeaway number one, I think this game really showed just how much we need to draft and or acquire a true big-bodied X number two receiver. Oh, I wow. think... I think the one thing that Kirk Herbstreet pointed out, which speaking of which, how funny was it listening to Kirk and uh, who, who's the other guy in the booth? <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's his college. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The fact that like anytime somebody made a play, they could tell you where they went to college. They're like Byron Pringle out of K-State or they're like Nick Bolton out of Missouri. Chris, and I'm Chris just like, Fowler. Chris Fowler. Thank you. Like they knew everyone's college. Uh, okay. Yeah, case in point, though, Kirk Herbstreet made a really good point. In that Byron Pringle really is, I think, the answer for our slot receiver questions. And I think I've said this before, more about Michael Hardman, but I think Pringle stepped up into it that, like, it looks like you've been watching Randall Cobb footage. Run of those, you know, quick slants, run of those intermediate routes. And it's like, hey, we finally have somebody that's like, I think, another option where we need somebody to make a play on third and six. And I think Byron Pringle can be that guy. But... In watching the Chargers last night, which I bemoan this out of jealousy, they got like three dudes in a tight end that are 6'3", huge bodies that can create space. We have maybe one guy who can do that, and that's Tyreek Hill. I know Travis Kelsey's good, but again, Kelsey is a tight end. We need a wide receiver, too, who can extend possessions, let Tyreek run those deep routes, run those go routes, and have Byron Pringle run in the slot. Then I feel so much better. That is my first takeaway. Um, I'm I'm going to softly agree with you. I just don't feel as passionate as having a number a number two receiver because of what we actually saw. Uh, and this is something that you alluded to last week. You mentioned, or maybe a couple weeks ago, I don't remember. But you had mentioned it would be great if McCole Hardman stepped into a Debo Samuel role. And that was the most Debo, Debo Samuel prototypical game I've ever seen from McCole Hardman. So I, I actually say if this is a constant where we only see McCole Hardman in that realm of, okay, you're, you're going to be our guy in the flat running screens and that's it. If we have him doing that, and Kelsey and Hill doing all the things that they're doing and hopefully one running back doing well. It doesn't matter who it is, but if all those things are working, I actually don't think that should be a priority of having that big bone number two because of what we just saw from a If we can see that from a in the playoffs and in 2022 or yeah, next season, 2022, this is a really good team, a really good offense. And I know we're already a very good offense, but this was a new dimension that we've seen in spurts. But this game, we saw constant McCole Hardman gadget plays. I like where your head's at. And I think that I can find a middle ground for both of us. And I think the answer is Josh Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, I think the answer is. Now that we seemingly have roles and assignments for three of our wide receivers, Tyreek being the go route guy, Pringle being the Randall Cobb slot guy, and Hardman being the Debo Samuel kind of do everything in the flats kind of guy, 
I do still want one pure route running wide receiver who's a little bit bigger, but this year it seems like we've been throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall with our receivers. You know, it's like, go make plays, Robinson. Gordon, I choose you, you know, and just that that's all it's been. It's like I, I couldn't tell you what anyone's role is on this team. It just feels like a lot of confusion. But if we can at least go into next year knowing what everybody's role is in the receiving core and sticking to that, I think that'll bring a lot of cohesion, help with a lot of the timing issues that have been plaguing Mahomes throughout this year, and make us a more multifaceted, multidimensional football team. And I'll agree with you there, buddy. All right, so so you brought up um, having a number two receiver. My take will be pretty obvious. Our defense sucked, and yep. nothing really uh, improved from from that Bengals game. In fact, I think things got worse because we we still saw those island plays, especially in the fourth quarter when Drew Locke's like, "How am I going to win this game?" Hold on, let me go back to that Fountain City Sports Media episode where Hot Take Mondo and referees were saying Spags is not going to change his system and he's going to let. Fenton, he's going to let Ward, he's going to let Hughes be on an island with Jerry Judy, with Tim Patrick. Are you kidding me? And look what happened. And look what happened. But not only that, Reese, that was a constant. But now a new thing was this freaking Drew Locke QB sneak or Drew Locke finding space and our linebackers being out to lunch, which we didn't see against the Bengals. We actually shut down Burrow and Mixon in the running game. But I mean, Melvin Gordon, Drew Locke, Javante Williams, all eight yesterday. And this easily could have been a Denver win because of that. So um, I'm going to say that was a C plus performance and only a C plus performance because Melvin Ingram saved our behinds Um, probably was a D performance, but you don't want a C performance going into the playoffs. Are you kidding me? So that is my take. (laughs) No, I, I agree with you 110%. And what's, you know, I, I said earlier, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop on this defense. I thought it was going to be that our players aren't good enough. No, I never thought it was going to be like the Spags heel turn where it's like, I don't know, name your movie where someone gets seduced by power or the dark side and they just like give over to it because he it's like you idiot. It's like you had it figured out like between weeks about nine and 15. You had it figured out. But what's happened over the last few weeks is he won't get away from blitzing even when it's not working. He's like, huh, they're beating our five-man blitz. What do we do? Keep doubling down. Six-man blitz. Yeah, cover zero. You know what's better than cover zero? Cover negative one. Ten men out there. Two of them are Neiman and Sorensen. Speaking of which, good night. It's it's infuriating, and I can't understand this. Sorensen deep safety, baby. Sorensen deep safety getting blown up again this week by biting on the receiver instead of targeting Noah Fant. Right. But th- the big thing is every third down, it seems the Spags running the dime package, which is fine. But you have to have your most athletic linebacker out there to run the dime, which is Willie Gay Jr. But who does he trot out every third down in the dime package? Neiman and Sorensen on the one play it's uh, because they have big brains. Yeah, he's big a great, he's a great knee bender. No, but the fact that like <laughs> it's the one play a drive that can decide if they're going to punt or not. Let's say it's third or seven. 
Why would you trot your two biggest liabilities out on the field to hold third and seven? If he wants to be running dime on first or second down, so like we have another play to maybe get a sack with our best personnel, I'm all for it. Right. But dude, what happened, Spags? Yeah, I mean it's and and we're we're definitely going to get into this in the second segment when we talk about the Steelers because that's the only reason why I would be afraid of the Steelers. It's not because of the Steelers themselves, but because of what the hell is is Spags going to do? Is he going to go one on one? Is he and and I won't spoil it for for when we get to that. But uh yeah, I mean this game does not make me any happier that we have to be in the freaking uh wild card with the Steelers or you know whoever else afterward uh, which also makes me pissed that we even put ourselves in this situation if we would have beat the Bengals, we wouldn't have had to have this game everybody would have been healthy uh because clearly people are not 100 percent right now we saw tyree kill something's going on with that dude uh, but but even on defense like our tackling just looks sluggish everyone just looked a little bit sluggish so i mean going back to that Bengals game it's it was huge it was huge really huge so who knows what happens against the Steelers? Um, anywhere you want to add to that? If not, give us another take. I was going to say one thing I will throw onto there as well is I do have to give them just a little bit of leniency because that field was literally unplayable. Like I think, <laughs> I think had they had time to check that field out beforehand, I think the league would, they wouldn't have, but you know would have and could have stepped in and been like, this is not safe. I mean, it, it looked and played like I joked, Estadio. Uh, uh, I can't say it. Uh, yeah, Estadio. Uh, 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 thank you. Yeah, I've, I'm like I'm gonna say Estadio Carneseda. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, and we, and we all saw that game got moved a couple years ago when that happened. You know, the field was right, in that right. condition. They said no. Thanks, Shakira. Uh, so it, it did really look like the advantage was to the offense who knew where they were going to cut because both defenses didn't want to reactionarily cut in case they like cut their ACLs in half (laughs) or was the case with Tyree kill hurt his heel pregame slipping because that field was such trash. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I, like I said, I'm uh, about an hour away from, from Denver, but if they get a windstorm, I'll get it vice versa snowstorms. And there was, there was nothing, you know, that like, if they blame the weather, it really wasn't the weather. I think it was just poor, uh, poor field management to whoever manages the field at Mile High. Well, I think I heard what they did was like it snowed, and instead of shoveling and clearing the field, they just turned the heaters on, which melted all of the snow into the field. Which again, big brain move, right? So wait, what melted it into the field? <laughs> Holy sog- this- soggy, Batman. Yeah, right. It's like. That, that doesn't just disappear. You know, it's like, I don't care how good your drain system is. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so we've both touched down on two points in this game that I think were huge. Uh, I think one more point I want to touch down on is I think Denver is realistically a Ryan Tannehill away from being a pretty good team. Wow. Uh, I mean, the, the defense isn't the 2015 defense the way it was, but it's still a pretty good defense. Now, how much of that had to do with Fangio? I think quite a bit. Uh, I think Fangio is a little underrated. He's a very good defensive mind, uh, but he was yeah, obviously Broncos, like you said. Broncos had a top three defense this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, Without I think they Von earned Miller it. for half of it. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, again, Fangio was obviously watching that Bengals tape, you know, because he was attacking one-on-one on the outside, outside the numbers. But uh, more importantly, there are some weapons on Denver. You know, no fans, pretty good. Cortland Sutton, pretty good. You know, they have a very good running back tandem right now with uh, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I mean, that's very good. And again, the defense, they got a bunch of young dudes. Patrick Sertan didn't even play, and I thought that looked like a pretty respectable defense. Yeah. So that's why I don't want Aaron Rodgers to have, like, I don't know, some weird one last ride in Denver. Uh, I would prefer if Russ cooked anywhere else but the Mile High City. Uh, again, I'm not afraid of the Broncos, but it's like they could easily be the Chargers 2.0 with a better quarterback. Wow. Yeah, or but even Chargers light would be scary. I mean, and the fact that the Raiders beat the Chargers and the Chargers are still freaking scary and, you know, could have been Super Bowl contenders is very scary for the AFC West. If you consider all that and you throw in an Aaron Rodgers or Wilson, even hot take, even a Carson Wentz. Oh, gosh, even, no. Carson even Wentz. If a Carson dude. Wentz was on. Yes, I know we're playing prisoner of the moment right now because he just got decimated. But even a Carson Wentz one-on-one, Tim Patrick against Mike Hughes, like, I'm pretty scared. Dude, okay, I'm sorry. I got to open this can of worms because <laughs> you it. open this can of worms. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Alex Nikolenko. I'm so sorry that the Colts lost. Sorry, I hate, buddy. Yeah, I, I, I hate seeing that. I hate seeing you sad. I got some Colts fans back home too. But the whole reason they lost was because Carson Wentz is being held together right now with like a few pieces of, uh, what do they call those, connects? Some popsicle sticks <laughs> and connects. a heck of a bunch of painkillers. Dude, he was playing like Frankenstein this year. He had nothing. Geriatric Philip Rivers would have given him a better chance this year than Carson. They, they had the season they did in spite of Carson Wentz. I mean, that dude, as bad as I've like knocked on Cam... Carson is every bit as bad, if not maybe somehow worse physically right now. <laughs> I, I am dead serious. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I just said in his throwing ability, like obviously he looked he looked really bad in the in the pocket. He's not great. He's not the greatest decision maker, but just his just his arm one on one, like all all to promote your point, Reese, that this Broncos team is filled with talent. They're just missing the biggest, weakest link, which John Elway just can never get. So, I mean, if they can do a paid Manning 2.0, it's going to be a really interesting 2022 season next year. So stay tuned um, and we'll see where Fangio goes. I mean, Fangio definitely deserves another job, whether it's a head coach or a a DC on a really good team. Like if he's a DC on the Bucks or something like that, then things are, you know, really crazy. So hats off to Fangio, even though uh three and I don't even really think it's his fault. I mean he had Locke, he had Bridgewater, he had, you know, Simeon, whoever else was on that Broncos team. So anyway, another debate for another day, Reese. Um any closing thoughts about that game before you show us a delicious beer? Uh, I'm glad the team never quit. I feel like earlier in the year, that's a game we lose. Uh, but the defense, the defense really, you know, bared down, dug deep, had a clutch play that swung everything. And uh, I'll tell you what, in the offseason, I would consider uh, finding some money to have, keep Melvin Ingram hanging around. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to Melvin Ingram. Shout out to Bolton. Uh, we, we do have some special guys on that team, uh, but stay tuned for in the postseason. I know we're going to get to a lot of that and get to the draft because I bet you and I, if like you and I, if we did a three, two, one and about what position we draft at in the first round, we both have completely different ones. Probably. <laughs> Probably. Which we'll yeah. save for another day. But before then, Reese, let's go ahead and crack open a beer. Everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's time for This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of the podcast where we sit down and talk about a story going on this week in craft beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. Now, this week's story, we talked about an unfortunate trend in the beer industry right now, which is the can crisis. Uh, I think it's really interesting, all the things going on there and you know, it's it's fun talking around the brewery to some of the people and shipping and being like, so what's the deal with the cans and all that stuff? They go, oh man, the can situation, it's a uh, it's serious business. So this isn't just some sort of faux pas thing you see on the news. It's serious business. But more positively, according to the Mercury News, they have li- uh, made another list, which I love lists, of five craft of beer trends, five craft beer trends to watch for in 2022. So... I thought it was interesting because I remember when we interviewed Skip about a year and a half ago, you know, we asked him, like, what do you see for the forecast of beers? Now, T-Vices and T-Seltzers are not part of this list. Oh, really? Uh, no, I, I did it. I did a controlled uh, control F to find the word T. I have not looked at the rest of this list. However, I did make sure there were five things on here not behind a paywall. So we have that going for us. <laughs> First and foremost, Number one on the list, they said, is going to be direct-to-consumer beer. What do you think of that? Wait, direct-to-consumer meeting that the breweries are going to deliver to their home? Yep. They said, during the pandemic, many breweries sold direct beer directly to their customers via curbside pickup or local shipping, or they began oh. shipping through the state to find new customers. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, at least in microbreweries, I don't know about you guys and, like whether you guys are still doing to-go beers, but to-go beers are like, yeah, that is totally the way of the future. That's never changing. Well, we do to-go beers, but this is uh, specifically talking about like beer delivery in particular. Like you'll be able to hop onto Weldworks and be like, I want a a case of Juicy Bits and they'll have it delivered to your doorstep. Wow. Um, I don't know because that there's a lot of like, law enforcement implications there like grizzly or sorry is it called grizzly or drizzly yeah drizzly sounds i think it's called drizzly yeah Yeah, drizzly is is the like national distro that will distribute beer to you and that you have to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to drive for them to work for them or to purchase from them so i don't know if that's necessarily going to kick off just because there's a lot of regulation there but i do think that uh like pick up like drive through stuff at microbreweries or oh, yeah. um, like, like like they'll bring it out to your car, stuff like that. I think that 
after um, craft or sorry, after COVID. I think that's the way of the future just because it's convenient. It's easy. We even talked about you and your dad at Best Buy doing it. Like stuff like that is going to stay just because they have the systems in place. It's convenient. People don't like walking around anymore anyway. So yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. I'm kind of with you. I feel like there's a lot of hoops to jump through both at the state and federal level in regards to shipping alcohol. I know that during COVID, there was a brief period of time. We used to have a, like a boulevard wrapped. It was like a Ford Escape. And I think we were doing like, we'll drop this off at your door. But that was during like the Wild West days of COVID where everyone's kind of like, yo, the laws are real, but they're not really that bad so long as you can stay in business and not go bankrupt. You know what I'm talking I would, about? I would, I would love to like hear podcast in like a couple years of people just totally scamming during COVID and getting away with it. Like not even mafia, but just like just regular small businesses. Anyway, complete tangent, but you know that happened. Yeah, we'll get Aaron Rodgers on here. Aaron Rodgers is the guy who's like, you know, you can just go up to a park and like take a duck from a pond and take it home with you. They can't stop you. <laughs> Actually, wait, to, to not get way too off subject, these guys are actually getting in trouble at USC um, for pretending that they had a small business and took all these PPE grants and not loans. And like we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. And it was this scheme between a player at USC and this other guy. And then like a bunch of other people were in it. But like, how do you like, of course, it's going to come back to you, buddy. Like, it's not like the like PPE loans and grants are just funded by this random COVID thing. Like this is some IRS stuff, dude. You can't get away with that. So yeah, some people are in huge like federal prison time for this like junior USC wide receiver. Jeez, what go, what goes on there, dude? Your dad your dad is the number one ranked USC graduate of all time. <laughs> yeah, brother. <laughs> all right, so number two on this list, I'll just say number two. Uh, they said, this is pretty broad stroke, the rise of non-IPAs. Basically, they're saying, and this is true, IPAs have been, you know, at like the forefront of the craft beer industry for the better part of the last 10 years. Uh, but I think it's kind of like, they're not saying something specific, like in particular, they're kind of saying like Tiger Woods versus the field. And I think they're saying the field is going to start winning. Uh, what do you think on that? Do you think IPAs are going anywhere? Yeah, well, it, it's kind of two things, and we can have a broader conversation about it too, but I think craft beer is accessible now. Craft beer was not accessible a decade ago, so the people that were going to craft breweries were people that wanted these you know, really bitter tasting beers like IPAs. But now that you have like, you know, my, my mom, your mom, your dad, you know, people that maybe aren't a part of the craft beer uh, scene (laughs) have gone to a craft brewery in the past two or three years just because they're popping up. So people that may not be these like aficionados and want this really bitter tasting beer now are getting sours, slushy sours, imperial stouts that taste like cocoa, like cocoa beans. And so all these appealing flavors are now making their way in. So not to say that like hazy IPA, I mean, hazy IPAs are supposed to taste a little better than, you know, just a regular IPA. It's supposed to be less bitter. So it's one wants to appeal to the common man. Uh, so I think IPAs will not disappear, but they will take a backseat to what's looking like a sour craze. Um, so, I mean, now we're seeing craft beer selling seltzers. It's not just, you know, truly, but now you're having craft beer places sell this or like blueberry wheats. 
Um, so yeah, I think it's going to take a back seat. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I think that's fair. Uh, I think the question is going to be to what degree are they saying taking a backseat? Do they mean they're going to be like dethroned as, you know, the catalyst of the entire industry or just that like what used to be a 65% market share of craft beer is going to be like 55 or 60%, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know. And it really just depends what the finances are on these, you know, these breweries like like Boulevard. You guys have the the uh, luxury of making small batch items because you obviously are a very successful brewery. But that's actually good for the craft brewery industry because you guys are able to dabble. And I, I know at, at at a time you guys also had that special tap that, that that you were working on that you were the bartender for but like bigger breweries have access to that and can experiment which is really cool i just mm-hmm. don't think it's gonna like you know beat boulevard wheat ever you know what i mean i hear you <laughs> i hear you all right so the number three on this list is low and no alcohol beers They say whether it's driven by people wanting to maintain an active athletic lifestyle or those who think it's a healthier choice, expect to see more breweries making N.A. lower alcohol or gluten free beers. Armando, what's your immediate reaction to that? (laughs) Well, we just talked. We we have a friend that's drinking a low uh, or sorry, a zero alcoholic beer right now just because he wants to have a clear head uh, to make some bets tonight. (laughs) So, So, yeah, I. I think that is the trend. Also, you uh, we're seeing a lot of, um, at least I'm seeing a lot of commercials now, uh, Heineken. I'm seeing a lot of other commercials uh, where people are having these 0% beers. So, yeah, it's a trend. Um, I think people kicking less on alcohol is, uh, is uh, also a popular trend right now. And then people just not drinking alcohol. There's actually the very first, I don't know if in the Denver or in another city nearby, uh, the very first non-alcoholic bar is about to be opened as well, where all their drinks are non-alcoholic, but it's a bar setting so that people can socialize and feel like they're, you know, having a drink. So I think that's on the, I think non-alcoholics on the rise, Reese. Uh, I know you called it a trend. I think it's a fad, to be honest. I think uh, we saw this syn- synonymous. Yeah. Yes and no. So, well, yes, but no. Okay, anyway, so what I'm saying is I think we saw it a few years ago, like two, three years ago with like the rise of fitness beers, you know, I think. Locale, yeah. Locale, you know, with electrolytes or like, you know, a a diet version of Two Hearted. And, you know, those kind of came and went. Yeah, it's uh, none of them were that great, except Easy Sport. I love my I love me some Ah. Easy Sport, some, some good stuff. Uh, but case in point, you don't see those hanging around much anymore. I think this is kind of the next step in that fad. And I just don't think it's going to stick. This is me speaking from my personal experience. Back when I had COVID and I couldn't taste, I stopped drinking for like 10 days. Not for like some sort of detox, not because I was sick. It was just the fact of like, I didn't want to drink a beer if I couldn't taste it. I love the beer for the flavor and dissecting that. And... None of these non-IPAs or, or sorry, uh, none of these non-alcoholic <laughs> beers. Sigmund Freud over here. Sigmund Freud. Th- they don't have the flavor, you know, and I'm not talking like I could yeah. taste the booze. I'm talking like the flavor of a beer. It, it's like the LaCroix of beer. And, you know, I'm not going to drink LaCroix because the flavor of LaCroix is, I mean, literally it tastes like static banana. You've seen the joke. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I think it's I think it's gonna be a fad. I don't think it's gonna last very long. I think uh, seltzers are probably the bigger locale, but still high on flavor alternative. But also, like, it, uh, we don't have to get too much into it. But um, have you noticed, like, Trulies and White Claws, like those were a huge thing of two two years ago. Haven't really been all the rage ever since. Like, yes, people still drink them, but I'm not seeing everyone at a bar drinking it anymore like I used to. So, yeah, I think these trends come and go, like you said, fad worthy. Yeah. All right. Number four. All right. All right. Pat yourself on the back, Armando. Oh. We've been calling this one for over a year. Lager love. Hey. The one broad category that has any chance of competing, even with IPAs, are lagers. They're not a single style, but a wide range differentiated from bottom cropping yeast and some differences in the brewing processes and aging times. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say we've been calling this for a long time. You can call us uh, American Telegraph and Telephone. Uh, yeah, Armando, <laughs> lagers, kick it off. Love them. Loggers love them. When I was a kid, I was going to say when I was a kid, when I was able to drink PBR, baby. And then I was like, I want to be a craft guy. And then I started drinking IPAs. I started working for a brewery. And then my mind changed. It's loggers. It's pilsners. All those are the rage because like you, you want to enjoy your time at a brewery. And if you have three double IPAs, that's it, buddy. Like someone's going to have to throw you in the back of their car. So Pilsner, Pilsners and Lagers, when they're done well, when they're clean, like they're just so good. They're great conversational beers. You don't have to like dissect the beer. And it's just like if you're hanging out with a bunch of people and you're not, you, you don't have to have PBR, you can now have really refined, really, I love PBR still, but you can have really refined, really clear beers that are wonderful. So it's a great trend. I mean, we've talked about on this podcast, we have beer shot here and now like the first american czech like brewery that's only specializes in lager like this is that is going to grow i mean things like casey beer things like beer shot like this is just the beginning of that style yeah i agree and you know you, you kind of made a really good point in the fact that like a lot of them tend to be lower abv by default you know it's not unusual to find a lager like a pilsner with a lot of flavor coming in at like four percent and I know there's a country mile difference between an NA beer and a 4% beer. But I think for the people that are just wanting a lower alcohol, you know, lower carb beer sort of thing, I think lagers are really going to be there to kind of scoop them up. Because low ABV, like you said, easy to put down with some friends, still a lot of flavor and very enjoyable. All right. So then number five, last but not least, they say... The rise of seltzers. Ah, no. Yep. <laughs> the rise of seltzers, which, okay, this is, this is what's interesting on this. Uh, first off, seltzers have been a thing for a while. You know, they've been rising. So saying the rise of seltzers is me being like, my forecast for 2022, the rise of Marvel films. It's like, <laughs> okay, thanks, Captain Hindsight. Spider-Man is back. Spider-Man is back. Uh, while it's technically not a beer, many breweries are currently making their own version of seltzer to stay competitive. Did I mention smoothie beers? Brewery crafted alcoholic smoothies haven't cracked the mainstream just yet, but I think we'll see them spread this year. Okay, yeah. interesting addendum to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's not much to say are, about seltzer. Those are apples and oranges. <laughs> yeah, that's very apples and oranges. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think seltzers are. I think this will be a very telling year for seltzers. 
to see if they are an Alabama-like dynasty on the rise circa early 2010s, or if they're a flash-in-the-pan three-year sweep like Dabo Swinney and the Clemson Tigers. Hey, and really quickly, um, slushy beers are easy to make for microbreweries. Seltzers are not. Um, go Very to any go to any microbrewery and try their 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 seltzer. Chances are it's not going to taste even close to truly and stuff like that. Just because the way you have to carb it, the way you have to like add sugar to it, it's actually really hard. So I'm going to say seltzers are not on the rise, especially with microbreweries. Slushies, yes. I think it's a very good point, too. Uh, seltzers are very much a have or have not sort of thing. And I can tell you some of the ones like Boulevard Quirk are very much in the have category. But Absolutely. if you go down to your local microbrewery and you get one of their seltzers, I mean, it's far from undrinkable, but like, you know, very different quality. Not Quirk. Very different. Yeah. So that's it. Five craft beer trends to watch for in 2022. That was a lot of fun to dissect. That was fun. Yeah. But uh, we, got, we got to do more of those. Um, we, we do. We do. But so now I will take the reins over because Reese is going to do some tasting for us. That's right. We are doing the beer review. Reese, what will you be reviewing for us today? All right. Friend of the podcast and patron zero, Jordan Bachman, if you're listening to this, nice. I have to say, OG. forgive me. I, I, I have sinned. Uh, I have I saved this originally for our, our beer kicking it review episode, but I cannot wait any longer. <laughs> my, <laughs> as in my wife literally said, that's been in the fridge now for two months. I need you to put that down. <laughs> so tonight, straight from the toppling Goliath drop of 2021, I have the fresh batch series s'mores pastry stout. Stay chilling and relaxed and we put no lactose in. Oh, boy. No lactose in it. No lactose but it's a pastry stout 10% ABV and a tall boy. Oh my so, goodness. Uh, well, now I'm interested. How do they do? Cause I guess you can use different types of sugar, but for those out there, like stouts are mainly milk sugar. Um, I wonder what sugar they use. Huh? Well, we'll look it up later. Uh, yeah. This is going to be really fascinating. I'm really fascinated. And of course, we love Toppling Goliath. Shout out to Jordan. OG, thank you for hooking us up. So while Reese cracks it open, puts it into a glass, um, for those of you playing at home, we have one, two, three, five categories with an ever-changing uh, sixth category. But we ca- we um, we rate beers from zero to ten. Zero Eh, 10 being the best and the five categories are aroma appearance flavor mouthfeel and aftertaste i'm, I'm so scared to crack this open because i, I feel like it's gonna be so it's so shaken it's just gonna like spew pastry <laughs> out all over my desk <laughs> it's One been sitting so long it, it did turn into milk oh thank heavens okay good Nice. All right, Reese, pour that to a glass and then let us know what the aroma is on this lovely pastry stout. Oh, look at that pour. Look at that pour. For those of you that can't see on our live stream because we don't have a live stream, Reese is about 10 inches away from the glass and it's just pouring like he's a sommelier at Capitol Grill. Oh, gosh. It's not going to stop, is it? Ah. Hold on. You know, for for two months, that's pretty good head. Oh, dude, photo finish. Yeah, all right. So, aroma. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's all alcohol. <laughs> dude. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. This, 
This smells like liquid cocoa puffs. Wow. The exact smell of like cocoa puffs in milk. Oh my gosh. Just give that a 10. We're done. (laughs) For those of you that maybe don't listen to the podcast, Reese rarely gives out 10. So for him to do 10, that's a big deal. Shout out toppling Goliath 10 on aroma. Let's keep going. Reese appearance. How does that lovely pastry stout look? So it's interesting because when I was pouring it, it was uh, fairly translucent and it's actually not as motor oily as you would think for a 10% pastry stout. Yeah. Uh, the head has this nice dark caramel color to it, almost a, a tannish. And I'm going to stick with car- uh, caramel. Uh, it's got a fairly foamy uniform head. The bubbles are very fine with a few larger bubbles in there. Can't see a lot of carb going on. It's much darker in the glass than it looked pouring it. But again, it looks like a very attractive beer for that sense. So I'm going to give this a 8.6 on our appearance. Solid 8.6. And Reese, remind me again, this is fresh. This is the from the fresh batch series. Fresh batch series, s'mores pastry stout. Do you still have that can? Oh, I sure do. Can you uh, can you tell us what uh, tell our audience what that fresh batch is? is imitating uh it is a free use parody version of the fresh prince of bel-air there logo. you go yeah that looks, yep. that's actually really cool <laughs> all right so this is looking out to be a great beer of course we have our favorite category next flavor does it taste like cocoa puffs and milk without the milk my wife's gonna think there's something wrong with me. So next time I crack one of these, I'm just gonna be like smelling it the whole time. This smells so good. I don't even want to drink it. You know, like you just hold it's a like glass of hot water, just like warm yourself and feel good. It's like, oh my goodness, that smells good. No, eleven. No, Noel's, no. <laughs> Noel's gonna be like, is is there paint in there? <laughs> no, dog. <laughs> Glue sticks. Anyway, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. A pretty complex flavor for a pastry stout. A lot of times you get accosted by the malt bill and yeah. uh, you get a whole lot of like bitter kind of dark chocolatey flavor and like that's it. And then you kind of get like an essence of something. You're like, oh, I kind of taste it there. This one, let me dissect a little bit more. I can tell you what, what's impressive is I'm getting graham, I'm getting chocolate, I'm getting marshmallow. So that's really fun to dissect. It's fun to have all three of those flavors representing. I think it's a very well constructed beer. Uh, I'm going to give the flavor on this. This is probably like a 9.3. A very very strong 9.3. 9.3. Okay. Pretty, pretty good. I got to try this one. I actually looked online. Looks like they are selling it online. Um, I I might have to purchase it. This is... This is uh, pretty, pretty good. I'm seeing this on draft in some places, too. I think Velo Garage, the bike bar, uh, bicycle bar in North KC had this on tap. Very Did good. Did you take me there? Is that the place that we went to? We have never been to Velo Garage uh, for the bar. We, we, we've, been a, we've been a patron to the bike shop a few times, but you and I, I, I went never to the dive. Bar. You and I went to this dive bar close to your place. That was, uh, it's like, 
Jenny's Firehouse or something oh, like okay. that. Remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I think we even closed the place down when we went. Uh, oh, yeah. Fun. Good times. Good times. All right. So we got flavor. And next we have mouthfeel, Reese. How does it taste? Is that just super thick? Is it half thin, half thick? That chocolate just can't leave the tongue? You know, it's got a much silkier mouthfeel than it looks like it would. Much lighter, too, considering, again, in the glass, how thick it is and being a 10% pastry stout. Yeah, very silky. A little bit of carbonation. Not a whole lot of cloying bitterness in there as well, which is really nice because, again, some of those pastry stouts, you get accosted by the malt bill and the bitterness of all that. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to crush this. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to crush this. But it's very deliciously smooth and very sippable. I'm gonna give mouthfeel on this again. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's worthy of a nine point nine point two on mouthfeel. Oh boy, as he as he pours more into his glass, just can't get enough. All right, so we got aftertaste next. Aftertaste. Does it taste any different on the back end than it did on the front end? Man, that's good. So here's what's cool. Uh, you definitely get in this order. So flavor. So we're going to bounce back to flavor. You get graham cracker. You get chocolate. It's on the aftertaste is when you get marshmallow. Ooh. Like the longer it sits, the longer you exhale, the longer it just kind of like permeates. That's when you taste marshmallow. And again, I think it's really impressive that all three flavors are very distinct. And it's not just kind of like a cluster mess of sweet flavors. I was like, yeah, this tastes like s'more. It's like, no, this tastes like the process of eating a s'more so for that reason i love me a good aftertaste we're gonna give that a we're gonna give that a flat nine flat nine and aftertaste a flat nine wonderful all right you know this is making me really thirsty reese i might grab a guinness and put cinnamon in it <laughs> a, a cinnamonous oh <laughs> uh. You know, fun fact, uh, I'll, I'll have to find what the beer was. Uh, they, they made some sort of like Guinness holiday with cranberry barrel age, something, something, whatever beer. It, it's real. I'll find it. I'll have it on the podcast next week. Not the actual beer. I'll tell you the name, but you know. All right. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. And then last but not least, Reese, the ever-changing category, BDQ or big donkey quality, JK, because we don't like the donkeys. No. We love the Chiefs. Check that acronym out. <laughs> That's probably that's probably one of the better acronyms in the last like twelve months. Not gonna lie. Uh, so speaking of not lying, I gotta say I cannot tell a lie. Top and Goliath does it again. Uh, I'm always impressed by this brewery and the beers they're putting out. I'm so proud they're in the state of Iowa. Beautiful brewery in a beautiful city like Decora. Now, like I said, I think it's great that this beer has a fantastic smell. is multi layered in its flavor. Uh, dope can design. It's holographic green with a fresh prince esque logo on it uh, with some holographic s'mores. Uh, my one gripe is they say stay chilling and relaxing. and we put no lactose in. I think they really dropped the ball in saying stay chilling, relaxing. Oh, hold on. This is like Jay-Z working in the studio while he while he makes the song Big Pimpin'. So it says stay chilling and relaxing. and we put no lac- lactose in. It should say chilling and relaxing, no lact at all. You know, and, and make lact like an apostrophe for lactose. Chill and relax and lact. No, no lact at all. Or Chill and no relax and no lact at all. Putting cool. on, you know, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, 
I'm sorry, that's going to knock some points down on the BDQ here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very close to perfect execution, uh, but they just didn't stick the landing. But for that reason, this is a high-quality beer. I love it. It's fantastic. I think this is definitely deserving of a 9.1 BDQ. Oh, boy. We almost had nines across the board. Do we have a stout on Mount Crushmore? We have the Boulevard uh, Buffalo Trace. Oh, that's right. The Prairie Ale. um, Yeah, that we do. Does this does this rival it? Where are we? Are are we on the Mount Crushmore summit with this one? If we had to pair it up with the Boulevard uh, Prairie Ale collab, man, you know they're just so different styles of beer. Yeah, Uh, you know, whereas like this one is, it's flashy and fun like a Lambo, but you know the the Boulevard Buffalo Trace one is just like big classic real steel muscle car you know like feel it in your loins man uh so you know it's it's kind of apples and oranges i think what we need to do is we need to like have a live stream summit with multiple people and put down the parameters for what is mount crushmore and how many spots we have on there and who all gets them so we have like the so we have like the mount crushmore committee yeah the mount crushmore committee or like mount crushmore congress you know something like that (laughs) That'd be fun. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that donate on Patreon, if you, if you give us $50, we will live stream it and we'll even wear funny like Supreme Court outfits. We absolutely will. We'll get, we'll get all of our brewing friends we've had on the podcast on here as like special guests. And they'll be like, why did you bother us with this? We have work to do. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to go grab my Guinness and put some cinnamon in it, and we will finish out the podcast so we can be chilling and relaxing, re- relaxing, all cool. I'm not actually going to do that because that sounds gross. That sounds really good. I'm like, is, that, is that a real thing I just talked about? After throwing up all my Guinness and cinnamon because that was a bad idea. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't. I didn't actually do that. I, I don't know if you thought that was real. I was just trying to like, how can I make a Guinness into a pastry stout? Oh, I'll put some Dude, nutmeg and cinnamon in it. You had me work there for a while. I'm like, is this a real <laughs> thing like they do out in like these cool beer drinking cities I so know about? <laughs> well, if someone didn't know about yesterday's game, they would have said, you had me for a while that the Steelers are going to play and the Chargers are not playing in the NFL playoffs. But then they look and they they can't believe what happened. Brandon Staley taking the time out, even though Derek Carr had the gentleman's agreement of not taking a time out or not going for it. You can even hear him on the broadcast saying, wait, they're not going to take a timeout. This was before the timeout. And then he was like, okay. And then like after that, he was like, okay. And they were about to run it. Anyway, another podcast for another time. Pretty crazy stuff. All to say, though, because all that happened, we will be facing the Steelers next weekend. Reese, right now we are a 12.5 point fate. Wait. Yeah, that I have to say points all that time. 12.5 points favorites to win against the Steelers next week. Reese, let's talk two things. I want you to give us what what is our greatest weapon against the Steelers next weekend? Uh, or what is the I, biggest thing we can expose? I think 
The biggest weapon we have against the Steelers right now is I would arguably say, I know this is counterproductive, but our defense, just because the real weakness we've had the last couple weeks and all year for all intents and purposes is getting beat on the deep ball. And like, that's the one thing Ben does not have at all. You know, he is right, not right. got the deep ball and he doesn't even have the jump ball much anymore, nor does he have any real jump ball receivers. So I think that's probably our best weapon in this game is just the defense not playing like complete trash, dude. If the defense if the defense can hold this Steelers team to under 20 points, we win. Wow. Yeah, I mean you're 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 definitely right. It's just funny that that's the barometer. Hold hold a team under 20 points and then we're we're going to for sure beat them, which is kind of crazy. But you're right. Like their their front four against our front four is going to be our biggest strength because their O-line sucks. And yeah, not only dude. they suck, but like Ben Ben Roethlisberger is not mobile. He's never been mobile and now it's really apparent that he's not mobile. So he's just not going to have a lot of time in the pocket. Uh, which is going to be great for us. So, yeah, I think that you're correct. That is our biggest strength. I would probably say Tyreek Hill is probably our second biggest strength, if not the biggest, because their secondary is decimated. So they're not going to have a lot in their secondary. So I think this is a huge Tyreek Hill game. We'll see. Um, Okay, Reese, how about what is our biggest weakness against the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend? I would say... Biggest weakness against the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be ourselves. We've seen it happen twice in the last two weeks where a single play has really swung things. Ironically, both times the the plays are the result of Zane Anderson, this uh, practice squad guy we recently called a few weeks ago. Uh, I could go on an entire rant about Zane Anderson, but I'm not going to. Case in point... uh, the Zane Anderson hold, which happened after the fact and was not even part of the play, but that called back that kickoff return that would have made it 35-17 and a half game over at that point. And in this last game against the Broncos, uh, it was Don't fourth touch and, the punter. Don't touch the punter, dude. Ever. And you don't have to touch the punter. It's the Broncos. But what happened was rough the punter, 15 yards, gave him new life, literally reopened the game. So I'm, I'm going to show pun- you, Andy. The, the key thing is, we can't let a big play like that suddenly give the Steelers new life. That's the biggest thing I'm worried about. We seem extremely susceptible to having a big play completely flip the script on us this year. So, yeah, that is my biggest weakness. What about you? I think um, going back to your first point of what you said was our strength, I'll debate you a little bit because I think our biggest weakness is our secondary because of spags right fenton ward have actually you know i was actually listening to um briscoe today and briscoe was saying or or someone had made the argument saying name one player that has gotten better in spags defense and i'm like well i mean fenton and ward are actually much better than what they used to be so i I don't know if you can like uh attribute that to spags in particular but they both have been been very good this year um, but because of the last two games and we brought this up in the first half um, what is going to happen at deep safety who is going to be helping out Fenton and Ward against Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool even though Big Ben can't throw the long ball just like I said last week about Drew Locke he just has to he, he just has to hit him once or even twice 
right? Which Big Ben can do, especially in the playoffs. If this is his like goodbye party, he's definitely going to sling it or find something. So that's my biggest worry is that he puts Sorensen deep safety that's supposed to help out Ward against Deontay Johnson in the fourth quarter. Like this is a very specific worry, but it's real. It's real because we've seen in the past two weeks. That's a very good point. And, you know, when you look at guys, Mitch Trubisky, Drew Locke, they will miss guys that have beaten coverage downfield. They will miss that right. throw. As, you know, old as Ben Roethlisberger is playing right now, Ben Roethlisberger will still hit the guy who has beaten coverage and is open downfield. Oh, especially so, if, if this is actually his last game of, I mean, he's going to go in there and give it his all. Like he's probably doing like Tom Brady injections or like, <laughs> like LeBron James sleep chambers right now. Like he's probably going <laughs> all out. <laughs> Well, hopefully our sleep chamber turns into a nightmare for him. But, I mean, I, I totally agree. He wants to send Friermuth, you know, on a post route and Sorensen bites underneath and suddenly Friermuth's got four and a half yards of distance between him and Sorensen. Ben's going to hit the guy in the numbers. Gone. Touchdown. So that's that's a very astute point. So with all that said, Reese, we've talked both sides of the coin. Let's predict the score. What do you got for this weekend? Oh, gosh, I don't want to jinx anything. I would like to say, <laughs> hold on, I, I'm, I'm going to do a bit, of, a bit of history check here. Um, Go for it. Let's see. Uh, Colts, Chiefs, 2019 playoffs. Uh, yeah, so I'm calling 31-13 Chiefs over Steelers. Uh, knock on wood that I don't jinx us for that, but I think it's going to be a... Uh, I think it's going to be a game where the final score isn't necessarily reflective of the game itself because that Chiefs-Colts game in the snow in the 2019 playoffs was, by and large, eh, closer most of the game than I think it actually felt. Yeah. Uh, but the final score looks like we blew them out. So I'm going to go with that. All right. Um, I'm going to hold with the referee's point uh, cap and say that we just have to hold him to 20. So I will have 20. Actually, no, I'm going to do 21. I'll do 21 just to make it even because I don't think uh, Boswell is going to miss a field goal. But I'm not surprised if uh, Najee Harris scores a touchdown. Deontay scores two or it's Deontay. Chase Claypool gets lucky. You know, like, uh, yes, Chase Claypool is a is a clown, but he's an athletic clown. So, <laughs> uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen there? But I'll say they at least score three in that just to give him some respect. But 35-21 Chiefs. I do want to say one caveat to this that I think the Chiefs really need to watch out for is that I don't think the Chiefs can attack the Steelers with the same game plan they did back in week 17 because I think Mike Tomlin is too good of a coach. And yeah. I think oh, yeah, he'll we didn't even talk about Tomlin. You're right. He'll shore up those deficiencies and he'll fix his end of the game plan. So I don't think he's a guy you can beat the same way twice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I no no matter who is on that team and I know we joke about you know AB Juju Chase Claypool like Tomlin is still an amazing coach and he's the type of coach that can rally the hell out of his players right you get him TJ Watt fired up Big Ben does like a farewell speech before the game like who knows man so I just hope that and I think that the Chiefs, well, I'm not saying that they won't come in guns blazing, but I hope they're prepared for like what will be the Steelers all. And 
I still think we win, but it could be scary at times. So we'll see. All right. And to end the podcast, let's special shout out Stone Cold Chief Austin for winning the Fountain Fantasy League. He beats Karen Rogers 227 points to 182 points. Um, Of course, Cooper Cup has a day 23 points. Debo Samuel, who is uh, who is uh, uh, McCole Hardman 3.0 or 4.0, has 26 points. Travis Kelsey has 11. The Vikings D against Chicago has 17 points. Doesn't even use Jamar Chase. Oh, my God. He actually, he actually sat Jamar Chase. He was like, screw it. Who did he start in his stead? He started DK, and it actually worked. DK scored more than Jamar Chase that game. Of course, of course, Jamar Chase has an awful game, and they lose to the Browns. I know Burrow wasn't there, but still, Jamar Chase is playing against a depleted Browns. Pisses me off. Dude, I'll tell you what, in a league that had seven bench spots and what, two COVID reserves, the fact Austin was able to amass that much talent and dominate the entire league from start to finish the way he did, that is a testimony. That was a fantasy football clinic. We got wiped like Mr. Miyagi's car, man. It was not good. <laughs> Hopefully we will have a Stone Cold Chief Austin at some point. He can he can tell us about his strategies and, and his and his guru-ness. But until then, Chiefs fans, you guys burn those terrible towels. Wear your red, be loud, be proud this weekend. And of course, we will have our instant reaction right after that. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.